0: Welcome to the Sound Words Podcast, where it's our goal to help Christians love and live out God's Word. I'm Pastor Jesse Randolph, and I'm the Senior Pastor of Indian Hills Community Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast, and today we have as our very special guest Dr. Nathan Buznitz. Dr. Booznitz, welcome. Jesse, it's a joy to be on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Well, Dr. Buznitz is the Executive Vice President and Dean of the Faculty at the Masters Seminary in Sun Valley, California. Uh, he's professor of historical theology at the Master's Seminary, a member of the pastoral staff at Grace Community Church, an author of several books, including Reasons We Believe, Long Before Luther, Men of the Word, Right Thinking in a World Gone Wrong, and his newest release, where, where he is the co-editor, along with Dr. John MacArthur, titled Right Thinking for a Culture in Chaos. Uh, Dr. Booznitz, I am excited about this conversation for a number of reasons. One is... Uh, you're my old, former professor. I almost called you my old professor. I don't mean to make an age-related comment,
1: because uh, I <laughs> no, know we No, just give me time. I'll, I'll be your old <laughs> professor soon enough.
0: <laughs> former professor, esteemed professor. So I'm excited just to have this time to to, to talk with you and, and glean further wisdom from you, but also very excited about talking about this book, Right Thinking for a Culture in Chaos. And it's really interesting. We This book came out I not too long ago, just about a month ago. And many in our church are already reading this book, enjoying this book, and I, I'm excited to hear uh, how they respond to hearing from the one of the editors of the book, you, as we just kick around some of these ideas. So, again, thanks for being on, and I have just a, a first question for you, which is, what was the thought process be- behind writing this book, putting this book together?
1: Yeah, thank you, Jesse, and thank you again for the opportunity to come on to the podcast and... Uh, So grateful to get to talk a little bit about this book, which really was an attempt to take the timeless truth of God's Word and think through the implications of biblical revelation for the things that we see going on in the world around us today. So it really is taking God's truth and applying it to everyday life and specifically to current events and current controversies. And I had the real privilege of getting to work alongside Dr. MacArthur and also a number of other men on our pastoral staff here at Grace Community Church as we thought through how do we think about these really critical issues that Christians and um people in our country are facing today. How does the Word of God apply to these things? How does the truth of God's Word, what are the implications of it for how we think about the world around us? Uh, It was probably five decades ago now, in the mid-1970s, that a fairly well-known author and Christian apologist named Francis Schaeffer put together a series called How Should We Then Live? which really was based out of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11, where Peter says, what sort of people ought you to be? And that's what this book is trying to do, is it's trying to answer those questions. How should Christians live? What sort of people ought we to be in light of everything we see happening around us? And whether you watch the evening news or just click on your favorite news website, It doesn't take long to see that the culture around us is in chaos. It's descending into confusion. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we need to have the clarity of being able to bring the truth of God's Word to bear on how we think and how we respond to what's happening all around us. And so that's what we've attempted to do in this book. You mentioned, right, thinking in a world gone wrong. This really is a sequel to that. -hmm. And um, that book was written 10 years ago. So we're coming out with this now 10 years later. But how far has our culture continued to slide even in the last 10 years? The situation is, to some degree, far worse than it was even a decade ago. And so the truth of this book, I think, is more needed than ever. We address things like pluralism, uh, environmentalism relativism, uh, cultural Marxism and wokeness, transgenderism, homosexuality, a lot of isms. Mm. Uh, We talk about things like education and school choice. We talk about things like social media, even marriage and dating make uh, an appearance in this book because we're addressing a lot of different topics but the perspective from which we're addressing them is always the same. We're going to start with the truth of God's word, which is timeless, and we're going to apply it to current controversies and cultural issues. So that's the heart behind the book, and that's what we hope to accomplish with it.
0: Yeah, and and, and that's so evident from its pages. I've had the privilege of, of of working through it, as I mentioned, as many in our church have, and I and that comes out so clearly. You're you're clearly you you and the other contributors to the book are not trying to be mere social commentators. This is not, you know, Fox News smashed into a book here. You're, you're aware of the issues. You're aware of what is facing our world today and, and what are, what Christians are facing today, but then taking them very clearly and very methodically through what does the Bible have to say about this? What does the Bible have to say about uh, global war I almost said warming, but the title of the chapter is Global Warning, um, the, the world's greatest threat and God's only solution as one example. And then and then topic after topic as, as you've just listed them and helping Christians very helpfully work through these topics, which uh, like you've said, have accelerated to a really incredible and sad degree over the past decade, how to think through these biblically and faithfully to the word of God. That is that's been a that's the, that's the thread that really binds this entire work together well that's great and and I can't wait to hear uh, what you have to say about some of these other questions that we've teed up here. How would you, Dr. Buznitz, describe the secular worldview of our day?
1: yeah, that's a great question, Jesse and I think there are many places in scripture we could go to answer that question, but one passage that comes to my mind and it's actually the passage that Dr. MacArthur addresses in the first chapter of the book is Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following. Really, in the first part of that chapter, in verses 16 and 17, the Apostle Paul talks about the power of the gospel, that he's not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation, that the answer is found in the good news that Jesus Christ is the only Savior and that through faith in him, in his person and work, that we who are unworthy can be forgiven and declared righteous by God and given the promise of eternal life. So Romans chapter one begins with the solution, and then in verses eighteen and following Paul describes the pagan Roman culture of his day, but really he describes any culture that abandons God, any culture that turns its back on the truth of what God has revealed in his word is going to be marked by a downward spiral into chaos and confusion. Hmm. And Paul describes that downward spiral so Clearly, and it's, I mean, it comes across in a way that seems prophetic hmm. in terms of predicting the collapse of Western society because we see that same downward spiral happening even today. A downward spiral that's marked by a sexual revolution and then a homosexual revolution and then complete irrational thinking uh, And it's just amazing how if you read what Paul says in Romans chapter one and look at what's happening, even in the headlines today, you go, wow, this is that. Mm -hmm. And what Dr. MacArthur points out in that chapter is that's evidence that the culture is under God's judgment. It's not that we're still waiting to see if our culture will be judged by God. We can know that our culture is under God's judgment when we see these things happening.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: As Christians, as believers, we come back then to the hope of the gospel, knowing that it is the only hope both for us and for those in the world around us who are perishing. So I don't want to sound the doomsday alarm without also emphasizing the hope of the gospel, which is so clearly presented in Romans 1.
0: Amen. Amen. And as we record this, we are uh, just a a week and a half or so out from Easter (laughs) and just reminded again, again and again, of of that hope that we have of the resurrection, uh, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the hope of his gospel. And it really is the answer, ultimately, uh, to to everyone's greatest need. Uh, It's not to, you know, save the planet, save the whales, change your gender as though you could— It's to be reconciled to your God uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, In chapter two, so Dr. Bousins, you're a general editor of the book, you and Dr. MacArthur, and you've contributed a a chapter, uh, chapter two, War of the Worldviews, where Christianity and culture collide. And in that chapter, you mentioned four biblical truths that are counterintuitive to the secular worldview, that kind of Romans one worldview that we're in today now. Um, What are those four truths that you've laid out in that chapter, and, and why are they counterintuitive?
1: Yeah, in that chapter, we walk through, again, what the Apostle Paul has written in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul really turns the wisdom of the world on its head and exposes the fact that the wisdom of the world is foolishness in the eyes of God. And what I was attempting to do in that chapter was to draw out some of those counterintuitive truths that the Apostle Paul emphasizes with regard to a Christian worldview, meaning the way that believers view the world around us, the way in which we perceive reality, the distinction between a Christian worldview and a non Christian worldview. And those four counterintuitive truths. The way that I presented them in the chapter, number one is the idea, the wisdom of foolishness, that what the world calls wisdom, God calls foolishness, and conversely, the world regards as folly that which God calls wisdom, namely the wisdom of the gospel, which centers on a crucified Messiah, which Paul in that chapter says was a stumbling block to the Jews and was considered foolishness by the Greeks. And then secondly, the glory of humiliation. Who would have thought in God's perfect purposes, who would have thought that the most glorious act of all of redemptive history was the moment of Christ's greatest humiliation on the cross? And yet that counterintuitive truth is at the very center of all that we believe and hope for as Christians. And then thirdly, the strength of weakness. Paul goes on in that chapter to talk about the fact that as believers, we are not many noble, not many mighty, not many wise. And yet God has chosen the the weak things of the world to, uh, or the weak things, weak people to, to shame those whom the world regards as strong. And it's just a reminder that as believers, we bring nothing of ourselves, that the gospel is all of grace, and that even in coming to recognize our own inability, it begins with a recognition that we are not noble in and of ourselves. We are not strong enough to save ourselves. We don't possess any true wisdom, but rather what we need is the strength and wisdom that God alone provides. So the very counterintuitive intuitive nature of the gospel itself. And then finally, what I called the worthiness of the unworthy, that because of what Christ did on our behalf, we who were sinners, alienated from God, those who were part of the kingdom of darkness, sons of disobedience, dead and blind in our sins, we who were unworthy in Christ have been counted worthy And so Paul even ends that chapter in 1 Corinthians 1 by saying that those who boast, let him who boasts boast in the Lord, which as believers, we understand that. We have nothing in and of ourselves to boast of. All of our boasting is in Christ. So by going through those four counterintuitive truths, it really demonstrates how different a Christian worldview is than a secular worldview. And what we as Christians stand up and say, "This is wisdom. This is God's wisdom." The world is going to look at and they're going to call that foolishness, and we shouldn't be surprised by that because the Lord Himself has revealed in His Word that that's exactly how the unredeemed mind responds to the truth of God's Word. So it was a it was a call based on First Corinthians one for Christians to embrace a distinctly Christian worldview. And to do so in the power of Christ, recognizing again that it's only through the gospel that we have any means, or um uh, it's only through the gospel that we have been given by grace uh, the opportunity that we have in Christ.
0: Indeed, and Amen. Yeah, you call it in the, the at at the end of those four uh, marks that or those truths you you have another subsection called the power of the gospel and you just call it the countercultural wonder the countercultural wonder of the gospel that's a wonderful uh, way to summarize it it's countercultural it and it is a, a glorious mystery and a wonder um the, the gospel message the saving message of the gospel of grace now I know you, Dr. Buznitz, uh, I, I have known you as my church history professor uh, at the Master's Seminary. You, you uh, taught me on the MDiv side, you taught me on the THM side uh, about church history. You are my uh, my church history professor, as you have been for many uh, men that have come through the seminary. Question for you is, how has your study of church history intersected with your writing and editing of this book? And what lessons can we draw from church history to help us as Christians navigate the culture today.
1: Uh, Knowing that you were going to ask about connections between church history and these current events, uh, a number of thoughts came to mind. First of all, I do think that the study of church history is incredibly relevant because the lessons of history do have import for today. And in particular, as we think about where Western society is now, it's hard not to immediately go back to the rise of the Enlightenment, the Age of Reason, and what took place in the 17th and 18th centuries, as leading think as leading thinkers in Western society began to um, claim that an understanding of the world around them that was based on what God has revealed in Scripture. They began to claim that that was no longer needed, and instead all that was needed, according to them, was reason or rationalism and science, empiricism, and so you had the rise of rationalism and empiricism in the 17th and 18th centuries, and as a result of that, people in Western society ever since have been told that all they need in terms of how to understand the world around them can be given to them through reason and science, human reason and the empirical method. In addition to that, there was a bit of a reaction in response to the rise of rationalism and empiricism during the Enlightenment, another philosophy called Romanticism, which essentially said that the goal of life is the pursuit of your own happiness. So if reason and science tell me everything I need to know about the world around me, but, you know, science and philosophy can be kind of dry, how do I find meaning in life? And the Enlightenment said it's by pursuing your own happiness through things like music and art and aesthetics and other forms of personal fulfillment. I heard one historian say that people born in Western society today, that they were born into rationalism and raised in romanticism. What he meant by that was people are born into a world where they're told that science and reason is all they need to understand the world around them, and that the goal of their life is to find meaning through the pursuit of their own pleasures and happiness. I think you see a real disconnect even in the, between the 16th and uh, 17th centuries. Actually, it would be between the 17th and 18th centuries, the uh, 1600s and the 1700s, with the Westminster Catechism and the Declaration of Independence. So in the mid-1600s, you have the Westminster Assembly. They produce a catechism. The first question is a very famous question. What is the chief end of man? The shorter catechism answers by saying the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That was very much a Reformation worldview. That's a Christian worldview. As Christians, we understand that God is the one who defines reality, and our lives find the ultimate meaning when we seek to glorify and enjoy him. But just about 100 years later, when the Declaration of Independence was written, you have in the Declaration of Independence, this declaration that one of the inalienable rights of humanity is to pursue our own happiness. Well, the pursuit of happiness is a distinctly enlightenment idea. And I think it's helpful for Christians to understand how that developed. I mean, it, it really is that first Corinthians one or Romans chapter one mentality, but to understand that the secular worldview, it's, you know, we call it science, we call it reason, we call it secularism, but it really is a false religion. And it's a way of thinking about reality that is diametrically opposed to the word of God. So the question That as Christians, if someone asks, how do we know about reality? The answer is the Bible. And what is the meaning of life to glorify God? But we live in a society where people don't answer that question that way. They answer that question in keeping with the tenets of the enlightenment. They would say, science and reason give us our understanding of reality. And the goal of my life is to serve myself. The gospel confronts that. And so as Christians, we need to go out and take the truth of the gospel and bring that truth to bear on hearts and minds that have been convinced that science, reason, and the pursuit of happiness is the sum total of existence. That is incredibly
0: helpful to realize that the modern day religion, as as you sort of articulated it, of of, of scientific uh, rootedness or or empiricism and this pursuit of happiness—it it didn't just start uh, with the advent of you know the Oprah Winfrey Show and everybody gets a prize and everybody gets a car and everybody goes after you know looks inward to find their truest self and you know all the all the lingo that gets thrown around today—it has real historical roots that go back centuries now.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and. Some of your listeners may be familiar with uh, Carl Truman's recent book on the rise of the modern self. Mm -hmm. Uh, That details some of that history in terms of the legacy, the bad legacy that has come down to us from the Enlightenment. And of course, as Christians, we have an appreciation for things like reason and science, but we understand that those things are subject to the authority of Scripture. Mm -hmm. And Also, we have an appreciation for things like music and art and uh, pursuing things that are fulfilling, of course, but those things are always subject to what the Scripture teaches. And so as Christians, we're going to bring the truth of God's Word to bear on everything around us. It's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we are casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We're bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So this isn't me saying that science has no value. It does, but only as a servant to the scriptures. And as Christians, we must never let something other than God's word define reality or meaning for us.
0: Amen. 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 Well, one last question for you, Dr. Buznitz. The title of your book is Right Thinking for a Culture in Chaos. So this is kind of the, put a final point on this. How do we as Christians do what the title of your book indicates we need to do, uh, develop right thinking in a culture of chaos?
1: Well, going back to what I was just saying, I, I think the answer is as simple as looking no further than the word of God that we want to allow the word of God. We want to, maybe better said, we want to submit to the word of God in all things. We want to allow it to be our lens through which we view everything around us because God is the one who defines reality. He is the one who has determined and declared wisdom. And so when we see the world around us through the lens of his word, we are seeing it in the way that he wants us to see it. Hmm. And I would encourage your listeners to be like the Bereans in Acts 17 to search the scriptures. And even that verse in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, I mean, how do we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? By bringing it into subjection to his word, by analyzing and assessing every worldview, every philosophy, uh, every notion that's put forward by the world around us against the standard of biblical truth. And as we are faithful to bring the truth of God's word to bear on the world around us, we will think rightly. So right thinking, uh, is not about us setting up some sort of arbitrary standard and saying, hey, we're right. It's about instead appealing to and submitting to the perfect standard of biblical truth and then allowing God through his word to determine how we evaluate the world around us. Amen. Right
0: thinking is not appealing to just saying we're right, as as you just said, but it's appealing to God's perfect truth, his standard of truth revealed in the word.
1: Yeah, and just to, just to reiterate one earlier point, I also think as believers, it's not just us saying, okay, we know the difference between right and wrong because we know what God has said in his word. It's also us bringing the good news of forgiveness and salvation in Jesus Christ, bringing that message, the gospel message, and proclaiming it to everyone around us, because the only hope for this world, the only way to fix a broken world is one soul at a time, one heart at a time, as the gospel penetrates that heart and through the power of the spirit, a dead heart is made alive in Christ. So the call is not just to uh, know what's right and endure, but also to be evangelistic and witnesses to the truth of Jesus Christ because he is the only hope for our broken world.
0: Indeed, indeed. Dr. Busnitz, uh, today's interview has been so insightful, so helpful, and I'm so encouraged by you and and your faithfulness, your, your teaching ministry, your preaching ministry, your writing ministry, and I know the members of our church are as well. And I uh, just want to say thank you again. I know you're a busy man. You have, we wear many hats there at Grace Community Church and at Master's Seminary. Uh, so thanks for taking some time with us on the Sound Words podcast. Jesse, thank you so much. It was a joy. Great. Well, as always, the final word on the Sound Words podcast goes to God and His word. And he says in 2 Timothy one thirteen through the Apostle Paul, retain the standard of sound words, which you've heard from me, in the faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. We'll see you next time on the Sound Words podcast.